You're listening to Oh My God, I'm a Therapist, the podcast for the therapy curious with your host, Dr. Janice Murphy Rising. Hello and welcome to the very first airing of this podcast. Um, I am really excited to be here. Podcasting is something that I have thought about, dreamed about. I've been a guest on podcasts before and really enjoyed myself. I have listened to podcasts for, well, I guess as long as podcasts existed. Uh, One of the first podcasts I really got into for many years and still enjoy is one that's called Too Beautiful to Live. I uh, spent some time listening to and then got to be on uh, Dr. Kurt Honda's show, Psychology in Seattle. So I actually was really inspired to start a podcast after seeing a headline that said not everybody should have a podcast. And I was actually surprised at how quickly I agreed with that title. And I thought, wait a minute, um, just because not everybody, according to this author, shouldn't have a podcast doesn't mean that I don't want one. (laughs) I'm Janice Murphy Rising. I am a licensed mental health counselor in Washington State, and I've been one since 2006. I'm also a substance use disorder professional, and I have a PhD in counselor education since 2013. I've taught in graduate schools for over 12 years, and I have had a private practice since 2009, and I love being a therapist. And part of what draws me to speak to all of you about therapy is because I'd like to normalize therapy more, destigmatize it. Look at some of the gaps in the system. There's some people that have more access to therapy than others and also just have some fun. And so today I I chose what I hope is a more lighthearted approach to the topic. One of the first things that surprised me early on about being a therapist was when I would be socializing, I would have people ask me, are you analyzing me right now? This really took me aback. Um, I was not expecting to have to deal with those kinds of questions outside of my therapy agency or office. And honestly, no was my initial answer, but also uh, I had to ask myself since I got asked so many times, was I analyzing them? I'm a double Virgo, and so I think... I just have a natural tendency to analyze everything. (laughs) And so I I could have been, I could have been unconsciously um, analyzing these people that asked, but it was usually at a party. It was usually someone that felt a little shocked upon learning that they were talking to a therapist. And so I I wanted to approach this just from a place of a a Rashomon, so to speak. Uh, Let's look at um, you know, four different possibilities to why why this comes up, because I've since learned that this is something that a lot of therapists deal with. And, you know, sometimes we try to laugh it off or assure people that we're not analyzing them um, or, or we make jokes about it. But really, I think it's an important myth that we bust it because, um, well, speaking for myself, if you find me at a hummus bowl, I'm really more interested in the hummus or more interested in just having a nice conversation with you. I don't really want to work after hours. So allow me to share a little bit of background of what psychoanalytic theory is. This is actually the 
first model of therapy that we've been given. It came from the medical model. Uh, Sigmund Freud and Joseph Brewer both were trying to medically treat hysteria, and they realized in treating hysteria that they needed to pay attention to the transference or the way that the analysts felt about their patients. A lot of what has been handed down that psychoanalytic theory is, is that it's a blank slate, that the analyst is neutral, so not to give any sort of um, hint that they might have feelings for or about the client. And this neutrality is often what we um, think about when we think about psychoanalytic. And there's actually evidence that Freud was very engaged with his clients. Um, I read in one of my books in graduate school that he would make a snack if their clients were hungry and eat with eat with him. But uh, that's another myth and another another story for another podcast. But let's look a little bit more about behind what this idea is of are you analyzing me? When I thought about it from a cultural context, one of the things that occurred to me is that classic psychoanalysis, whether you have studied it or not, is is in our culture. Um, people use that word pretty frequently, whether or not they are trained psychoanalytically. Um, there are a lot of modern um, therapists that have a psychoanalytic framework. And I, I think that this has slipped into our collective um, unconscious, even though that's a Jungian approach. Sorry, Freud, that, that went over. Um, you know, I was never trained in any specific theoretical approach um, until after I finished my master's degree. And I think that that is pretty common now. Most people that work as therapists are licensed counselors, licensed marriage and family therapists, social workers, and we usually have a pretty standard theories class where we cover all the theories and you might have a elective you take that has an advanced theory or you might elect to get training later on. But for the most part, we we study psychoanalytic from the framework of learning the theory so that we can use that theory either to take a test to become licensed or, you know, we might look at theories and then decide after we've completed graduate school that there's a theory that we want to approach. I know a couple of therapists that have completed psychoanalytic training, and I've met a few at parties. Um, I didn't ask them if they were analyzing me. Maybe I should now. Maybe next time I run into them, I, I should just jump in on it and be another person that asks that question. But for the most part, we are all trained in a what's called, you know, helping micro skills. So we learn a relational approach and then we get a theoretical approach. And I wish that we had more opportunities when students were in training. As a as a professor, I see that a lot. Students will say that they don't feel like they've had enough opportunities in their training to practice a specific theory. And so I hope that we see more of that moving forward. It's just a lot. It's a lot to take on your first client, take on your first um you know, agency experience and, um, you know, you're doing all of those things and you're excited about it. And then you find yourself at a party and, and somebody asks you, are, are you analyzing me? So my first introduction really to a relational approach, and I'm, I would say I'm a relational therapist. I take a humanistic approach. I'm a huge fan of Carl Rogers. 
Um, I love motivational interviewing. I have taught motivational interviewing, studied it. Um, I use it in my practice. And I would also say that I have a feminist approach. I, I definitely relate to more of what's called a postmodern approach to theory. So you can kind of split up when you look at a timeline of theories as there's a the original theories. And then once you get to humanism is when you start to see the branching off of things that are more what are considered postmodern, meaning these theories, you know, have have evolved at an earlier time, which means after the 1970s. Um, so like solution focused therapy is an example of postmodern motivational interviewing because it takes from both cognitive behavioral and humanistic approaches. Um, one that I see students getting really excited about now is relational cultural theory, which is excellent, I think, for working, especially with people that are experiencing oppression. And so with these theories, the idea is that I'm using my relationship with my clients to help them grow. And most of that approach is based in a position of not that I'm an expert, but that I'm here to guide and support. So I'm, I'm relying on my client's voice, my client's experience, and believing them and building a relationship with them. And that's really what the research has shown is that it's not so much the theoretical approach, although I think theoretical approaches are very important. I am a little skeptical of anybody that says they're not. I think that we all should at least have one theoretical approach that's not eclectic that we say that we we draw from. We can draw from more. And I really admire people that come in and say, oh, I'm going to go study at the Jungian Institute because, you know, I really find that approach to therapy the most effective or I'm going to go study Gestalt. And a lot of therapists will go on from their master's degree and do that advanced training. So all of this to say that I think there's a big myth in our culture that we all get trained psychoanalytically. And the reality is, is that none of us, as far as I know, I don't know any therapists that sit behind the couch. Um, that Usually I'm sitting across from someone. And now, because it's 2022, I'm usually sitting across from somebody on a, on a Zoom call. So that's the part I think that is more, and maybe I hit all the different points, but I think there's a cultural aspect of like, we need to just address that most of us are not psychologically trained. <laughs> Freud apparently is in our collective unconscious, whether he wanted to be there or not. Um, and hopefully he's on the other side waving at us saying, actually, some of these things hold water, the relational piece, thank you, decade of the brain, which was the decade where we started studying the brain and realizing that these relational ways of working with people, this idea that my nervous system impacts your nervous system for better or worse. And if I'm doing all the things I can to benefit my nervous system and regulating myself, hopefully that's also going to benefit yours as well. And maybe I can show you some of those things as a way to cope with your mental health. So there's that part of it. The other part is I really just want to send compassion to people that socialize with therapists and have that moment of shock or um, curiosity or fear. And I'm not sure which one it is. Um, but I, I feel both this sense of just holding the people in my mind that have asked me that question and I didn't know what to say in the moment. Usually I don't know what to say. Is that, you know, y you were really courageous to ask me that. I think it takes a lot of courage to ask, you know, if that's something that you're doing. 
And I, I think it really demonstrates the psychological power that exists for a lot of therapists. And, and I think that's really something if you're new to therapy or new to being a therapist, or even if you've been a therapist for a long time, you have to acknowledge that we have power. And I don't think a lot of us like to admit that. And I also think there's myths around what kind of power we have, right? I mean, in Washington state, the reality is, is that if somebody comes to me and they disclose something, you know, I I will tell them what my mandatory reporting is, Um, but I don't have the authority aside from reporting to do anything else. Um, I don't have the ability to, you know, I, I can make a referral or I can recommend, um, and sometimes I might recommend against someone's desire to do so. But if I see that someone, for example, is is seeming that they're going to hurt themselves, and that is my requirement by law is that I have to do something to keep you safe, right? But I don't have an ability. I don't have a hospital on call that I can be like, this one. Um, that's called a designated mental health professional in Washington state. And so I try to be really clear about that when I'm working with clients because I want people to feel like they can come in and talk to me. And I don't want anybody to feel like there's going to be a surprise. And so I don't know if that's part of the fear that's happening at that, that party table uh, is that, you know, you might say something and I might have this power. And I think, again, it's really important in an effort of transparency. I mean, a part of why I want to do a podcast is just to be really transparent. I think there's a lot of things we do as therapists that we've told, we've been told have to be a secret. And, you know, I've also had a lot of foundations in recovery, having worked with substance use for years and years. And I didn't really like this phrase when I first heard it, but I think it applies. You know, we're only as sick as our secrets. And, you know, if I'm being really transparent with somebody and just being really clear about what I can and can't do and what my intentions are, you know, I have I have ethical obligations and legal obligations as a therapist. But overall, at the end of the day, my I hold that tenet of doing no harm very seriously. And if I think it would do harm <laughs> uh, to to um, not be upfront with somebody, then I'm going to choose being upfront with somebody. And hopefully that helps to alleviate a lot of the anxiety that people might have in coming to a therapist or in talking openly to a therapist if they're thinking about um, having suicidal thoughts. Because having suicidal thoughts doesn't mean you go to a hospital. Having suicidal thoughts can be a part of many different diagnostics. And, um, you know, my hope is that all therapists everywhere feel equipped to you know, just talk about it because that might actually prevent hospitalizations or it might help somebody move away from being suicidal. One of the first books I found about relational approaches was my very first year in graduate school. And it was called Between Therapist and Client. And I was just so impressed with this idea that there's this space that is between the therapist and the client, right? And that that space that we create is one where, you know, we can address some of these things. And that space is not a space that I would ever go into in a social situation. That's one of the main things. Well, there's two things I think that's really good advice for people that are in graduate school. One is when you get to your your, your diagnostic class, don't diagnose yourself because, um, you know, everybody sort of suffers from this. I must have every single diagnosis. Because when we're first learning it, it, it's it's really, I think, very normal to sort of like take inventory of yourself because you are, you know, right there to, to analyze. <laughs> um, and so that's the first one. And the next one is not to analyze 
your friends or your family if you want to keep them as friends and family. And then the other piece is just about having boundaries. You know, I always make the comment when I'm teaching practicum or internship that I try to be a nice person when I'm out in public, but when I'm at the grocery store, I don't try to engage in therapy with the person that's helping me with my groceries. For good reason. I mean, for one, that person doesn't have a contract with me to give them therapy. So if you just run into me somewhere, just know that, yes, I am a therapist. And unless we have a signed contract or an agreement that I'm going to give you therapy, I'm just going to be myself. And I think that takes some time, or it did for me at least. When I first became a therapist, it was just a bit weird, right? I mean, I saw other people that I knew, like my friend that's an acupuncturist, and we go out to coffee about once a month. And I remember her saying to me, oh, yeah, my client just invited me to her wedding, and I'm going. And I thought, wow, what is that like? Because we have these ethics that we follow about not having dual relationships, And so I like that rule. And it's also one that's hard to explain sometimes to people because it's not that I don't care about someone or that I don't appreciate maybe being asked to come to somebody's graduation. I worked with a lot of adolescents, and so I've been asked that a lot. It's more how would I explain to somebody my presence there, right? And how would I navigate that role of being your therapist and having people in your life meet me when I actually can't say legally how I know you? You know, I still have this impulse when I'm at a grocery store or out in public and I glimpse my client. I can't help but in my mind, I'm like, oh, there that person is. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, If I see you, you know, oftentimes I'm in my head thinking about something and so I might not see you, which sometimes I think is a gift because then I'm not going to, you know, in any way disrupt your confidentiality. But that impulse to run up and say hello to someone you know is something I've worked with over the years to not to not do so that I can keep your confidentiality. The other thing about this question that comes up, and just some ways to deal with it, I think, if you are a therapist, um, not only is to understand the power dynamics that are happening, um, but also just to do some reality checking, you know, with the person in a, in a kind way, right? And I mean this, I mean this in a little bit of a joking way, but also in a, you know, I, I really wish people would relax around therapists, especially if they're socializing with them, because we really are not, unless we're not nice people. And for the most part, most therapists I know are nice people. And so if somebody has done this to you, I'm sorry, and they're not a nice person. But for the most part, I do not want to use my mal- my knowledge of psychology or th- therapy um, to harm people. Um, and some people do do that. And so, you know, if you get a sense that somebody has said something that's really judgmental towards you or discompassionate um, or, you know, they tried to get in your head and be manipulative, you have the right, you know, as a human being, regardless of not having a therapy background, to just set a boundary and, and not engage with that person. You know, show them the hummus and then excuse yourself. I don't know why hummus. Is hummus at every party? I I live in the Pacific Northwest. That's usually the the hummus is usually out somewhere in the chips. So I I think the fear is legitimate in that, you know, I I really think the underpinnings of of the question is like, are you going to hurt me? Are you going to be judgmental towards me? If I just tell you a normal story, are you looking at me from this observational lens? And the answer is, I might be, but I don't mean to be, you know, it's like, 
if you invited a mechanic over, they might hear the way your car's running and they might have they might make a conversation about it, right? Or they might have things to say, but you probably don't expect that mechanic to, you know, go out to your garage and fix your car, right? Um, you know, I have like my friend that's an acupuncturist and I might ask her questions about acupuncture, but I'm I'm not going to expect her to like pull out needles, you know? That's not that's not a fear that I have. And so if you can think about it just in terms of like there's other professions where you don't have to worry about people doing their profession in a social situation that might that might ease ease things a little bit. One way that I have approached this question and maybe it's not the best approach because I know that using humor sometimes is probably a way of getting more status in a situation. Although I don't mean to do it at the time, but I I do want to just I just want to move on usually when people ask me this question because I don't want people to be uncomfortable with me and I don't know how to make them less uncomfortable. It's sort of a boundary setting answer. But I, I remember a family member said to me, I, I, you know, I, would, I would like you to analyze me. <laughs> and I told this person, oh, I already did. You know, and then I waved them goodbye. And they, they wagged their finger at me because they thought that was really funny. And I actually got that from my own therapist, um, uh, which I find I find very very fascinating. I think now my approach with that is just to be fascinated with it. I mean, I understand after eighteen years of being a licensed professional that people are going to be uncomfortable. And my advice, whether you want it or not, if you are a therapist, is just know that part of our job is to be with the uncomfortable, and so. We might have people ask us uncomfortable questions or or name that they're uncomfortable with us, even when we're not actually doing therapy, right? I always find it really joyful to go on vacation, and I just don't tell anybody that I'm a therapist. Um, I, I've actually just told people I'm a professor or I'm a teacher. Actually, teacher has, I think, less projection to it. Um, but even then, sometimes that's, that's a little bit much. I, I have a hard time telling people I'm a therapist. And then them finding out specifically that I'm a mental health therapist, if I get praise for it, because I don't, I just don't really know what to do with that. I mean, if I told somebody specifically about something I did and they, they really appreciated it and then shared something that, that they're proud of, I feel, I would feel that was more reciprocal. I kind of don't know. I don't know what to do with this. Um, but that's something I'll take to my own therapist. So I hope we've busted this myth a little bit, not just for current therapists, but for therapists that are in training and just for people that socialize with therapists, the, the takeaway is that, no, you probably are not actually psychoanalyzing you. We might have observations that we make and we might keep them to ourselves. We might share them with you if we have a relationship with you. But in general, I think if you can kind of just treat us like people, if we've got good boundaries, like we're just other people that have other professions. And if we don't, of course, yeah walk away. There's no there's no need to be um, psychobabbled to if that wasn't something that you were looking for. I mean, you'd find a podcast about therapy if that's something you wanted, right? If you like what you've heard here, let me know in the comments. I'm going to be putting this on my Instagram page. And you can also email me. I'm at ohmygodimatherapist at gmail.com. I'd like to spend more time in upcoming shows talking about different 
approaches to therapy, different things or situations that therapists might find themselves in. I also just really want to emphasize in case you are a client or a former client or maybe a future client that at no point in this podcast would I ever share any personal details about the people that I work with. As I said earlier, I love being a therapist. I'm I'm honored to be a therapist. I, I see it as a courageous act when people go to therapy. Um, I know from my own experience that, you know, it was it wasn't an easy thing or an easy decision to ask for help. And that's probably what we'll talk about in the next show is about asking for help and what that looks like. So if you would like to support me, please follow me on Instagram. I'm at dr.janice, J-A-N-Y-S, or I'm at O-M-G, I'm a therapist. I think it's O-M-G, I'm a therapist. I want to shorten it. I also have a YouTube channel, which I'm hoping in future broadcasts to video as well, because people seem to enjoy that. And I wish you a very warm regards to you and yours, and thank you for listening.